35. Her springtime to all others, though winter to me. I wandered beside the banks of the rapid Rhine. I saw nothing but the thick line that clogged them, and wondered how I could have thought them beautiful. The petals seemed crushed upon the beach. The stream but added to their lifelessness by heaping on them its dull green slime. The lark, indeed, was singing Juliet was right its notes were nothing but harsh discords and in pleasing sharps. A rainbow through its varied arch across the heavens sadness had robbed it of its charm it seemed a visionary cheat a beautiful delusion. Reader, I feel with you. I thank you. I went next day. Reader, what then? The glorious sun shed life and joy round the clear water rushed bounding on in glad delight to the sweet music of the scented wind the pebbly beach welcomed its chaste cool kiss, and smiled in freshness as it rolled again back to its pristine bed. The buds on which I stepped, elastic with high hope, sprung from the ground my foot had pressed them to the lark reader. You can say nothing new about that. You are right. I'll pass it, and come at once to an end. My boots stood upright, conscious of their glare. A new spring rushed into my bottles, flora sweets were witnessed in my dress, a mite, a tiny mite, might have made progress round my room, nor found a substance larger than itself to stop its way. My lips at dinner were scalded with the steaming soup, the eager waiters, rushing with the choicest sauce, in dread collision met, and soused my well-brushed coat. I was once more number one, all things had changed again, reader except the rainbow, I, even that, reader. Indeed, how so, if still impalpable to the gross foot of earth, it seemed to the charmed mind a glowing passage for the freed spirit to mount to bliss. Reader, may I ask what caused this difference? You may, and shall be answered. I had received reader, what, twenty pounds, F.U.S.B.O.S. Curiosity hunters there is a large class of people in the world the business of whose lives is to hunt after and collect trifling curiosities, who go about like the Parisian chiffoniers grubbing and poking in the highways and wadis of society, for those dearly prized objects which the generality of mankind would turn up their noses at as worthless rubbish. But though the tribe of curiosity hunters be extremely numerous, nature, by a wise provision, has bestowed on them various appetites, so that, in the pursuit of their prey, they are led by different instincts, and what one seizes with avidity, another rejects as altogether unworthy of notice. The varieties of the species are interminable, some of them are well known, and need no description such as the bookworm, the bird stuffer, the coin taster, the picture scrubber, and C. But there are others whose tastes are singularly eccentric, of these I may mention the snuff box collector, the cane fancier, the ring taker, the playbill gatherer, to say nothing of one illustrious personage, whose passion for collecting a library of Bibles is generally known but there is another individual of the species that I have not yet mentioned, whose morbid pleasure in collecting relics and memorials of the most revolting deeds of blood and crime is too well authenticated to be discredited. I believe that this variety, which I term the criminal curiosity hunter, is unknown to every country in the world, except England. How such a horrible taste should have been engendered here, is a question not easily solved. Physiologists are inclined to attribute it to our heavy atmosphere which induces gloomy thoughts and fancies, while moralists assign as its cause, the sanguinary spirit of our laws, our brutal exhibitions of hanging, drawing and quartering, of gibbetings, whippings, brandings, and torturings, which degrade men's natures, and give them a relish for scenes of blood and cruelty. It happened that I had occasion to call on one of those criminal curiosity hunters, lately, he received me with extreme urbanity, 
and pointing to an old-fashioned looking armchair, requested me to be seated. I did so. I suppose, sir, said he, with an air of suppressed triumph, that you had no idea that you are now sitting in a remarkable chair. I assured him I was totally unconscious of the fact. I can tell you. Then, he replied, that it was in that chair Fondleroy, the banker, who was hanged for forgery, was sitting when he was arrested. Indeed, fact, sir, I gave ten guineas for it. I thought also to have obtained the nightcap in which he slept the night before his execution, but another collector was beforehand with me, and bribed the turnkey to steal it for him. I had no idea there could be any competition for such an article. I observed, Ah, sir, said he, with a deep sigh, you don't know the value of these interesting relics. I have been for upwards of thirty years a collector of them, and I have now as pretty a museum of criminal curiosities as you could desire to see. It seems you have been indefatigable in your pursuit, said I, yes, he replied, when a man devotes himself to a great object, he must go to it heart and soul, I had spared neither time nor money in my pursuit, and since I became a collector, I have attended the execution of every noted malefactor throughout the kingdom, perceiving that my attention was drawn to a common rope, which served as a bell pole, he said, I see you are remarking my bell cord that is the identical rope, sir which hanged Bellingham, who shot Mr. Percival in the House of Commons. I offered any sum for the one in which Thistlewood ended his life to match it but I was unfortunately disappointed, and the laws have now become so disgracefully lenient, that I fear I shall never have an opportunity of procuring a respectable companion rope for the other side of my mantelpiece, and tease all owing to the rascally wigs. Survey had swept away all our good old English customs, and deprived us of our national recreations. I remember, sir, when Monday was called hanging day at the Old Bailey, on that morning a man might be certain of seeing three or four criminals swung off before his breakfast. Tease a curious study, sir, that of hanging I have seen a great many people suffer in my time, some go off as quiet as lambs, while others die very reluctantly. I have remarked, sir, that tease very difficult to hang a Jew peddler, or a hackney coachman there's something obstinate in their nature that won't let them die like other men. As I said before, the Whigs and Reformers had knocked up the hanging profession, and if it was not for the suicides, which, I am happy to say, are as abundant as ever, I don't know what we should do. After my friend's indignation against the anti-hanging principles of reform had subsided a little, he invited me to examine his curiosities, which he had arranged in an adjoining room. I had not, said he, as we were proceeding thither confine my collection to objects connected with capital offenders only, it comprehends relics of every grade of crime, from murder to petty larceny, in that respect I am liberal, sir, we have now reached the door of the apartment, when my conductor, seizing my arm suddenly, plumped to the door mat upon which I had just set my foot, and said, observe that mat, sir, it is composed of oakum picked by the fair fingers of the late Lady Barrymore, while confined in the penitentiary, I cast a glance at this humble memorial of her late ladyship's industry, and passed into the museum. In doing so, I happened to stumble over a stable bucket, which my friend affirmed was the one from which Thurtell watered his horse on his way to Probert's cottage. Opening a drawer, he produced a pair of dirty-looking slippers, the authentic property of the celebrated Ike Solomons, and along with them a pair of cotton hose, which he assured me he had mangled with his own hands in Sarah Gale's mangle. In another drawer he directed my attention to a short clay pipe, 
once in the possession of Burke, and a tobacco stopper belonging to Hare, the notorious murderer. He had also preserved with great care quarters advertisement for a life, written in his own hand, as it appeared in the weekly papers, and a small fragment of a tile from the Red Barn, where Mariah Martin was murdered by the same quarter. He also possessed the fork belonging to the knife with which some German, whose name I forget, cut his wife's and children's throats, and a pewter half-quarter measure, used at the Black Lion, in Wick Street, by Sixteen String Jack. There were, likewise, in the collection several interesting relics of humorous felony, such as the snuff box of the Cock Lane Ghost the stone thrown by Collins at William IV's head a copy of Sir Francis Burden's speech, for which he was committed to the tower in odd black silk glove, worn by Mr. Cotton, the late ordinary of Newgate Barrington's silver toothpick and a stay lace of Miss Julia Newman. These were but a small portion of the contents of the museum, but I had seen enough to make me sick of the exhibition, and I withdrew with the firm resolution never again, during my life, to enter the house of a criminal curiosity hunter. X eccentricities of the minor drama, we had intended to have arranged, for the use of future syncretics, a system of coincidences, compiled from the plots of those magnificent soul-stirring extravaganzas produced and acted at the modern temples of the drama the chaste Victoria the didactic Sadler's Wells and the Tremontane Pavilion, but we had found the subject too vast for comprehension, and must content ourselves with noting some of the more exorbitant and refined instances of genius and hallucination displayed in those mighty works. Among these the following are preeminent, it is a remarkable thing that mothers are always buried on the tops of inaccessible mountains and that, when it occurs to their afflicted daughters to go and pray at their tombs, they generally choose a particularly inclement night as best adapted for that purpose. It is convenient, too, if any murder took place exactly on the spot, exactly twenty years before, because in that case it is something agreeable to reflect upon and allude to. It is remarkable that people never lie down but to dream, and that they always dream quite to the purpose, and immediately on having done dreaming, they wake and act upon it. It is remarkable that young men never know definitely whose sons they are, and generally turn out to belong to the wrong father, and find that they have been falling in love with their sisters, and all that sort of thing, and be wanted, a new catastrophe for these incidents, as suicide is going out of fashion. It is remarkable that whenever people are in a particular hurry to be off, they make a point of singing a song to put themselves in spirits and as an effectual method of concealing their presence from their enemies, who are always close at hand with knives, it is remarkable that things always go wrong until the last scene, and then there is such hurry and bustle to get them right again, that no one would ever believe it could be done in the time, only they know it must be, and make up their minds to it accordingly. One word more, like Street Dunstan's feet, which possessed the sacred virtue of self-multiplication, and of which there existed three at one time. It appears to be a prerogative of epithets of the superlative degree to attach themselves to any number of substantives. Thus the most popular comedian of the day is five different men. The most beautiful drama ever produced is two farces, an opera and a tragedy. And the most decided hit in the memory of man is the Grecian statues, the Wizard of the Moon, the Devil's Daughter, Martinezzi, and the Refuge for the Destitute, the Well-Dressed, and the Well-To-Do. There has for the last few days been a smile on the face of every well-dressed gentleman and of every well-to-do artisan, who went their way along the streets of this vast metropolis. It is caused by the opposition exhibition of Friday night in the House of Commons, such as the comfortable announcement of a Tory morning paper, the very incarnation of spiteful imbecility, 
such as the self-complacency of the old Tory hag, that in her wildest moments would bite excessively, if she only had teeth. She has, however, in the very simplicity of her smirking, let out the whole secret has, in the sweet serenity of her satisfaction, revealed the selfishness, the wickedness of her creed. Toryism believes only in the well-dressed and the well-to-do. Purple and fine linen are the instrumental parts of her religion. She subscribes, in fact, to 43 points, for meals a day being added to her Christian 39 articles. Her faith is in glossy raiment and a full belly. She has such a reverence for the loaves and fishes, that in the fullness of her devotion, she would eat them as the offer of the almanac de Squirmons advises the epicure to eat a certain exquisite dainty on her knees. She would die a martyr at the fire, but then it must be lighted in the kitchen. The parliamentary exhibition which, according to the cyclorax of Toryism a cyclorax with double malice, but no potency has set all the well-dressed and well-to-do part of this vast metropolis off in one simultaneous simper took place on the following motion made by Mr. Fieldian, resolved, that the distress of the working people at the present time is so great through the country, but particularly in the manufacturing districts, that it is the duty of this house to make instant inquiry into the cause and extent of such distress, and devise means to remedy it, and, at all events, to vote no supply of money until such inquiry be made, here, here. This motion was negative by 149 to 41, and it is to this negative that, according to the avowal of our voracious contemporary, we owe the radiant looks that have lighted up the streets of London for the past few days, in the same sense of the writer, but in the better words of the chorus of Tom Thumb, nature seemed to wear a universal grin, it being always premised and settled that the term nature only comprehends the people with sleek coats and full stomachs, nature and horrors of vacuum. Therefore has naught to do with empty bellies. Happy are the men whose fate, or better philosophy, has kept them from the turnips and the hither fortunate mortals, who, banned from the murder of partridges and grouse, have for the last few days of our contemporary, been dwellers in merry London. What exulting faces, what crowds of well-dressed, well-fed malvolios, smiling at one another, though not cross-guarded, to a man prone to ponder on that many leaved that scrambled, blurred and blotted volume, the human face, that mysterious tome printed with care, with cunning and remorse, that thing of lies, and miseries, and hypocritic gladness, that volume, stained with tears, and scribbled over and over with daily wants, and daily sufferings, and daily meannesses, to such a reader who, from the hieroglyphic lines of fame content, can translate the haggard spirit and the pining heart, to such a man too often depressed and sickened by the contemplation of the carnivorous faces thronging the streets of London faces that look as if they deemed the stream of all human happiness flowed only from the mint, to such a man, how great the satisfaction, how surpassing the enjoyment of these last few days, as would be thane of Cotter, every man's face has been a book, but, alas, luckier than Macbeth, that book has been Joe Miller, every well-dressed gentleman has smiled, but then the source of his satisfaction has been the rags fluttering on the human carcasses in the manufacturing districts. Every well-to-do artisan has wended his way along the streets showing his teeth. But then at his own sweet will he can employ those favored instruments on roast or boiled, hence his smile for those who, gifted with the like weapons, bear them as men bear court swords, for ornament, not use. Alas! The smirk of the well-dressed may be struck into blank astonishment by the fluttering of rags by a standard of tatters borne by a famine-maddened myriad, the teeth of the dragon-want may be sown, 
and the growth may, as of old, be armed men. Yet can we wonder at the jocoseness of those arrayed in lawn and broadcloth? Can we marvel at the simper of the artisan fresh from his beef and pudding, solaced with tobacco and porter? Surely not, for the smile breaks under the highest patronage, nay, even broad grins would have the noblest warranty. For his grace the Duke of Wellington has pronounced rags to be the livery only of willful idleness has stamped on the withering brow of destitution the brand of the drunkard. Therefore, clap your hands to your pulpy sides. Oh well-dressed, well-to-do London, and disdaining the pettiness of a simper, laugh and ogres laugh at the rags of Manchester grin like a tickled polyphemus at the hunger of Bolton, our babbling, an isle friend, in the very looseness of her prating has let out the truth, or rather a common custom with her she has talked in her sleep, her very weakness has, however, given a point to her revelation, diamonds dart their brightest luster, from a palsy shaken head. In the midst of her snores she has but revealed the plot entered into between those most respectable conspirators, broadcloth and beef, against those old offenders, those incorrigible miscreants, rags and want, the Confederacy Island to be sure, older than the crucified thieves, but then it has not been so undisguisedly avowed, broadcloth has, on the contrary, affected a sympathy with tatters, though with a constancy of purpose has refused an L from its trailing superfluity to solace the wretchedness, the tears of beef dropped on the lank abdomen of starvation, are ancient as post-diluvian crocodiles, but it has spared no morsel to the object of its hypocritic sorrow. Now, however, even the decency of deceit is to be dropped, and broadcloth is to make sport with the nakedness of the land, and merry beef is to roar like the bulls of Bashan at the agonies of famine. As the winter approaches we are promised increasing sources of amusement from the manufacturing districts. What sunny faces will break though the fogs of November what giggling will drown the cutting blasts of January. It's chewing the wise relaxation of pantomimes. We shall be taught to consult the commercial reports in the newspapers as the highest and fullest source of salutary laughter. How we shall simper when mills are stopped how crow with laughter when whole factories are silent and deserted. How reader for we acknowledge none who are not well dressed and well to do how you will scream with joy when banks break. And how consult the list of bankrupts as the very spirit and essence of the most consummate fun. Insolvency shall henceforth be synonymous with repartee and compositions with creditors practical bonds most. Oh, reader but mind, you must, we say, to be our reader, be well dressed and well to do, for though we owe the very paper beneath your eye to a rags, we trust we are sufficiently in the mode to laugh contemptuously at such abominations. Oh, reader, quit your lighter recreations, seek not for merriment in fictitious humor, it is a poor, and satisfactory diet, weak and watery, but fine substantial drollery from the fluttering of tatters laugh, and with the crowing joy, grossly can lusty at the writhings and the lamentations of want, we have, however, a recent benevolent instance of the political and social power of dress an instance gathered from the court of Spain, the organ or rather barrel organ of Toryism, for it has only a set number of tunes which played our opening quotation, also grinds the following, the Regent Espartero, and the Tudor Argels, are doing all in their power to keep the young queen and the infanta in good humor, encouraging the princesses in many little indulgences suitable to their age and sex, especially in the article of dress, in which their royal mother was more than an attentive, this line of conduct, coupled with the expected arrival of the infant, Don Francisco de Paula and his family, who are to be received with every mark of respect, indicates that the present rulers of Spain, aware of their critical situation, 
wish to strengthen themselves by the support of the great majority of the royal family. Thus, if the royal family of Spain had an excess of courtesy and benevolence towards the people, such blessings will drop upon them from the fringed petticoats of the little sovereign. Thus curiously considered, may we not trace a bounteous political measure to the lace veil of a queen, and find a great national benefit in the toe of a slipper? Happy Spaniards, give fine clothes to your rulers, and they yearn with benevolence towards the donors. They do not walk about the streets of Madrid, smiling in the strength of their wardrobe at the nakedness of those who have subscribed the bravery. Oh, ye well-dressed gentlemen, and oh, ye well-to-do artisans, be instructed by the new petticoats of Queen Isabella, and smile no at rags and famine, punches pencilings, mumbrixii, transactions of the Geological Society of H.O.K.H.A. and Kumasenivie. There is not a more interesting science than geology, which, as our readers are aware, treats principally of mud and minerals. The association at Hukan Kumsnidi has been very active during the summer, and may be said to have been up to its knees in dirt and filth, gravel and gypsum, coal, clay and conglomerate, for a very considerable period, it having been determined to open a sewer where the old Hukan road meets with the ancient Roman footpath at Snidi, the junction of which gives name to the modern town. The Geological Association passed a strong resolution, in which it was asserted, that the opportunity had at length arrived for solving the great doubt that had long perplexed the minds of the inhabitants as to whether the soil in the neighborhood was crustaceous or carboniferous. The Crustaceous party had been long triumphing in the fact, that a moldy piece of bread had been found at two feet below the surface, when digging for the foundation of a swing erected in a garden in the neighborhood but the Carboniferous enthusiasts had been thrown into ecstasies, by the sexton having come upon a regular strata of undoubted cinders, in clearing out a piece of ground at the back of the parson's residence. Some evil-disposed persons had the malice to say that the spot had been formerly the site of a subsequently filled-up dussel, but the Crustaceous party, depending as they did upon a single piece of bread all crumb to however genuine, could not be said to have so much to go upon as the Carboniferous section with their heap of cinders, the latter being large in quantity, though of doubtful authority. However, the opening of the sewer was looked forward to with intense interest, as being calculated to decide the great question, and all the principal geologists were on the spot several hours before operations commenced, for the purpose of inspecting the surface of the ground before it was disturbed by the spade and pickaxe of the laborer. It was found that the earth consisted of an outer coat of dust, amongst which were several stones, varying in size, with here and there a bone picked exceedingly clean, and evidently belonging to a sheep, all of which facts gave promise of most gratifying results to the true lover of geology. At length the laborer came in sight, and was greeted with loud cheers from the crustaceous party, which were ironically echoed by the disciples of the Carboniferous school, and a most significant, here, here, proceeded from an active partisan of the latter class when the first stroke of the pickaxe proclaimed the commencement of an operation upon which so much was known to depend for the interests of geology. The work had proceeded for some time amid breathless interest, interrupted only by sneers, cheers, jeers, and cries of, oh, oh, or, no, as the throwing up of a shovelful of earth excited the hopes of one party, or the fears of the other, when a hard substance was struck upon, which caused a thrilling sensation among the bystanders. The pressure of the geologists, all eager to inspect the object that had created so much curiosity, could hardly be restrained, and the president was thrown, with great violence, into the hole that had been dug, 
from which he was pulled with extraordinary strength of body, and presence of mind, by the honorary treasurer, the hard substance was found to consist of a piece of iron, of which it appeared a vein, or rather an artery, ran both backwards and forwards from the spot where it was first discovered, the confusion was at its height, for it was supposed a mine had been discovered, and a long altercation ensued, the town clerk claiming it in the name of the lord of the manor, while the beadle, with a confused idea about mines being royal property, leaked into the hole, and, in the queen's name, took possession of everything. A desperate struggle ensued, in which several geologists were laid straight upon the strata, and were converted into secondary deposits on the surface of the earth, when the lamplighter, coming by, recognized the hard iron substance as the large main of the equitable company. It became therefore necessary to relinquish any further investigation on the spot originally chosen, and the matter was postponed to another day, so that the great crustaceous and carboniferous question remains exactly where it did, to the great injury of the harmony and good feeling that has never yet prevailed, though it is hoped at some time or other may prevail, among the inhabitants, but though public investigation of geological truth is for a time at a standstill, we are glad to be able to record the following remarkable instance of private enterprise, a very active member of the association the indefatigable Mr. Gribbuck determined to leave no stone unturned for the purpose of making observations, went out, attended by a single assistant, and made a desperate attempt to turn the milestone in the Kensington Road, in the hope of finding some geological facts at the bottom of it, after several hours labor before daybreak, to avoid interruption from the police. He succeeded in introducing the point of a pickaxe beneath the base of the stone, and eventually he had the satisfaction of removing it from its position. When he made the following geological observations, he found a primary deposit of dark soil, and, on putting his spectacles to his eyes, he distinctly detected a common worm in a state of high salubrity. This clearly proved to him that there must formerly have been a direct communication between Hook and Kumsnidi and the town of Kensington for the worm found beneath the milestone exactly resembled one now in the Hook and Kunsnidi Museum, and which is known as the Vermes communis, or earthworm, and which has always excited considerable interest among the various visitors. Mr. Gribbuck, encouraged by this highly satisfactory result, proceeded to scratch up with his thumbnail a portion of the soil, and his geological enterprise was speedily rewarded by a fossil of the most interesting character. Upon close inspection it proved to be a highly crystallized rat's tail, from which the geologist inferred that there were rats on the Kensington Road at a much earlier period than milestones. We had not heard that the ingenious gentleman carried his examination further, but in the present state of geology, any contribution to the science, however small, will be thankfully received by the knowledge-loving community. Blaze of the Beaumont, by the editor of the Morning Post, I saw that Lord George's route. Amid a blaze of ton, and such a turner ne'er came out for Maradon Carson, for who that marked that sylph-like grace that falcon over hip, that robe of rich chantilly lace, that fall of satin slip, could doubt that she would be the bell to make a thousand waistcoats swell? I saw her seated by my lord, as surely come you an inch, she took some paint peridord, and after that blank mange, a glass of Moises pink champagne lent luster to southeast you. And then I heard a grisian strain it was her sweet adieus, and I my friend the butler saw it, to slake with stout each burning thought. Metropolitan improvements, it is at length decided that Aldgate pump is to be painted, but the vestry had not yet determined what the color is to be, it is thought, to suit the diversity of opinions in the parish cabinet, 
that it will be painted in a harlequin pattern, it is seriously contemplated to attempt the removal of the ancient, hot cobblings, stand from the west end of Temple Bar. The old woman who at present occupies the premises is resolved to resist to the utmost so unjust an aggression. The Corporation of the City of London has, in the most liberal manner, given a plot of ground, 18 by 14 and a half inches, for the erection of a pickled Wilkes and Pennywinkle establishment, at the corner of Newgate Street and the Old Bailey. This will be a valuable boon to the Blue Coat Boys, and will tend to cause a brisk influx of loose coppers to this hitherto much neglected spot. The disgraceful state of the gutter grating in Little Distaff Lane has, at length, awakened the attention of the parish authorities. For several days past it has been choked by an accumulation of rubbish, but we are now enabled, on good authority, to state that the parish beetle has been directed to poke it with his staff, which it is hoped will have the effect of removing the obstruction. The commissioners of woods and forests have ordered plans and estimates to be laid before them for the erection of a duck house on the island of the Pond in Street James's Park. It has been decided that the exhibition of fancy paper on the boards of the enclosure of Trafalgar Square is to continue open to the public till further notice. By a recent act of Parliament, foot passengers crossing Blackfriars Bridge are allowed to walk on whichever side of it they like best. Errata in the Times. For, Sir James Graham denied that he ever changed his friends or his principles. Read, hanged his friends or his principles. For, Lord John Russell said that he had strenuously endeavored to keep pace with the march of reform. Read, keep pace with the march of reform. For, though Sir Robert Peel is the ostensible head, the Duke of Wellington holds the reins.